You're listening to the Arctic Circle podcast. In this episode, we learn more about CarbFix, the revolutionary way to permanently storing CO2 by turning it into stone. Atta Sif Pint Aradotir, CEO of CarbFix, will introduce this breakthrough technology and answer questions from the audience. The session originally took place at the 2019 Arctic Circle Assembly. Friends and family of the Arctic. We are all aware of the benefits and vital importance of fulfilling the goals of the Paris Agreement and keeping temperature increase on Earth well below two degrees. We are also aware of how far-fetched that goal seems to be at times. But I'm here to tell you that we found a way to move us faster towards that goal, and actually much faster. You see, for over millions of years, nature has regulated carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere on its own. But over the last century or so, mankind has emitted CO2 to the atmosphere at a much higher rate than nature is equipped to deal with. In fact, we have released so much CO2 into the atmosphere, it would take the planet thousands of years to absorb it the natural way. So obviously, we have to reduce our emissions. But we also have to help nature rebalance the carbon cycle that we have disrupted. Therefore, we developed a method called CarbFix that turns otherwise emitted CO2 gas into stone underground. We've done the research, developed the necessary technology, set up the infrastructure, tested the whole process, and it turns out that the whole thing works. But to this day, the method has only been applied at a large scale here in Iceland. Sounds a bit ridiculous, turning gas into stone. But I have the evidence here. See this piece of rock, and you can see a close-up of it on the screen behind me. Um, the gray material that you see, that is basalt, one of the most common rock types on Earth. If you look closely, however, you also see white specks and dots embedded within this gray rock. And this is CO2 that has been turned into stone by the carbfix process instead of being emitted to the atmosphere. Now, the best news is that this method is scalable and it has large potential on all continents for reducing emissions from, for example, power plant and industrial production facilities. You see, we didn't really discover this method of turning CO2 into stone. This is nature's way of permanently storing carbon. What we did was to find a way to speed up the process using science and innovation. And let me explain the process in more detail. 
instead of emitting CO2 to the atmosphere through chimneys at power plants and industrial production sites, we capture it with special equipment. We use a very simple process at our power plant to capture the CO2. We basically just put emissions through a shower, resulting in CO2 dissolving into the water phase, like what happens when you make sparkling water. We then take the water with the dissolved CO2 and inject it into rock formations that react with the CO2 and turn it into stone through natural reactions, similar to the ones that turn ancient bones and skeletons to fossils. So in a way, we are turning our carbon footprint to fossils for future generations and life on Earth to dig up and find. This conversion to stone takes less than two years at our field site. And once CO2 has been turned to stone, it is rock steady and it will remain buried underground as stone forever. For over five years, we have run the carbfix process at industrial scale at the Hattlesede Geothermal Power Plant, which is located some 20 minutes drive away from Reykjavik. By using carbfix to dissolve otherwise emitted CO2 and injecting it into the subsurface where it permanently turns to stone, we have reduced our carbon footprint by over 30%. But we are not going to stop there, as we want our power plant to operate with a zero carbon footprint. So we will invest further in capture and injection equipment. And since we can do it, so can other operators in the power and industrial sectors around the world. It is even good business for them to invest in CarbFix, as they can save money in the long run, as our cost of operating the method is lower per tonne of CO2 injected than this year's average price of carbon emission allowance in Europe. We have a large challenge in front of us to fulfill the Paris Agreement and keep temperature increase well below two degrees. We must cut global emissions down to half of what they are today by mid-century. And this can be done. The pathway has even been defined and milestoned with existing solutions. What is more, the cost of investing in the solutions that will reduce emissions is significantly lower than the cost of doing nothing and adapting to climate change. Carbon capture and storage is an integral part of the path towards achieving the goals of the Paris Agreement, and we must capture and inject 190 gigatons of CO2 in the next 40 years if the goals are to be met. And this might seem like an unachievable task, but I'm here to tell you that we can do this. And to put this number, 190 gigatons, into perspective, imagine that you're standing next to Niagara Falls. 
If you stand there for two years and watch the waterfall, you will have seen 190 gigatons of water flowing by. Now, last year, we globally, we captured and injected about 40 megatons of CO2, meaning it would take us over 4,000 years to inject the required 190 gigatons. Obviously, we can't wait that long. So we need to scale up, invest in carbon capture and storage equipment and infrastructure, and we need to do so quickly. Rocks provide nature's resting place for CO2. And why not imitate what, what nature has developed? After all, nature has had millions of years to come up with the best solutions. This is what we have done to reduce emissions from our power plant here in Iceland. Carbfix carb can be applied widely <clears throat> on a global scale. And in fact, preparation is already underway to apply Carbfix at sites in Italy, Turkey, and in Germany. The ingredients needed for Carbfix to be a viable solution to reducing emissions at a specific locations um, are number one, favorable rock formations, number two, water, and number three, a source of CO2. Basalts and other favorable rock formations are among the most common rock types on Earth, covering a significant part of continental surfaces and most of the ocean floor. Altogether, the global storage capacity in such rocks is larger than emissions from burning all fossil fuel available on Earth. We thus have plenty of viable storage formations. Furthermore, we have plenty of water. In fact, over 70% of the surface on Earth is covered with water. And finally, we have more than enough CO2. Thus, the capacity is definitely there. The finance also makes sense. So what are we waiting for? Believe me, this is not too good to be true. All we need is the will and courage to act. Humankind has repeatedly shown that we can solve large environmental problems. When I was a little girl, the ozone layer was vanishing. And I had ozone anxiety, like today's youth has climate anxiety. I foresaw my future in such a way that I would not be able to go outside without getting skin cancer due to, due to ultraviolet rays from the sun. But it turns out that this, this is not the issue today. Why? Because together we took action. The other day I even saw a news headline stating that the ozone layer hasn't been thicker in decades. Same with acid rain. This was a huge environmental problem when I was little. Now it is solved because we clean out the chemicals that were causing the acid rain. We can therefore certainly overcome the climate crisis if we choose to do so, particularly as the path towards solving it has already been defined 
and the necessary technical solutions exist. We, the COPEX team, are ready to do our part so that 190 gigatons of CO2 will be stored on the ground by 2060. We are ready to push the COPEX technology to its maximum practical limit and further develop it so that CARPFIX can be readily applied both on land and offshore with different rock types and as storage formations and in relation to carbon capture from different industries and power generation or directly from ambient air. But we can only go so far on our own. If the goals of the Paris Agreement are to be met, we need the support of influential and powerful people, such as found here in the audience. We need <clears throat> clear cross-border cross policies that support the tools developed to tackle the climate, the challenge at hand. We must eliminate barriers for widespread uptake of solutions. For example, it must be clear that regulatory framework around the European emission trading system supports all solutions scientifically proven to reduce emissions so that we maximize efficiency of investments. Regulatory framework within individual countries must also acknowledge that one size does not necessarily fit all, so it is very important that governments keep regulations up to date with cutting-edge climate solutions. Solving the climate crisis requires all pieces of the puzzle. CARPFIX is one of the necessary pieces, providing an economic and environmentally friendly solution to permanently store significant amounts of CO2. We seek parties willing to join us on the journey towards solving the climate crisis. There are no excuses not to take drastic and immediate actions towards that goal. So let's do it together. Thank you. Uh, now I've been told that if the audience has questions, um, the floor is yours. I'd be happy to try and answer them. Uh, I at least see one question over there. Yeah, I think you need a mic though. Oh, sorry. Thank you for an interesting talk. Uh, I was hoping if you could uh, talk a little bit about the long-term effects of this, using this method, especially maybe on the groundwater supply and maybe the strain it might put on the Earth's crust by putting a lot of weight and, and pressure into the Earth's crust. I, I'm not a geologist, but, but I don't know, I imagine that might have some effect in a geoactively era, area like Iceland or, or other areas. Actually, it doesn't, but I'll explain why. Um, first, to answer the question about groundwater, uh, we do not inject into reservoirs that contain our groundwater. We inject to a greater depth, uh, a minimum of 500 meters. Currently, we are injecting below 1,000 meters. And the wells that we use, they are completely cased off, uh, so nothing uh, is able to get into the groundwaters. Uh, with respect to your second question, um, 
it, what effect, the effects are to add weight to the bedrock in the underground. Um, what we do is really, a, it, it can be divided into two steps, because what we do first is actually dissolving the rock that is already there underground. That way we release chemicals into the water that meet up with the dissolved CO2 so that it can form new minerals. Uh, so we remove some rock and add some rock. So we are not putting that much strain on the subsurface. Uh, but eventually, pore space uh, that is found uh, all around us in the underground uh, could gradually fill up and hopefully will gradually fill up because that means that we are uh, really injecting large amounts of CO2. Uh, so that, this then would be just a matter of, of optimizing injection strategies. <clears throat> yes, uh, <clears throat> Peter Fikowski with the Foundation for Climate Restoration. And we're working to align the climate goal to a proven safe CO2 level below 300 parts per million. Uh, thank you for a very good talk and for uh, the Carb Fix is a very inspiring project demonstrating that we can do what nature does to remove the massive amounts of CO2 that need to be removed. What kind of financing would be possible to, uh, to actually uh, make our planet survive survivable for human beings to get the trillion tons of CO2 back out of the atmosphere and turn back into rock? What kind of financing? Are you speaking in terms of numbers or where the budget would come from? Uh, both. Okay, well, I can't give, I can't give you a firm answer on, on either, uh, but uh, for, I, I'll try and answer it this way. Uh, obviously, we need to try the method in many locations throughout the world. At each location, we would start with a pilot phase costing somewhere around um, five to 10 million euros. Uh, from that, we would learn how we would optimize upscaled activities. Then we're talking perhaps a 10 times larger investment at each site. Um, to date, um, the company I work for, Reykjavik Energy, has been the investor in the, the uh, technical equipment, etc., uh, for our operations. But we have had significant contributions from uh, research funds in Europe with respect to developing the method and, and uh, testing it in pilot scale. Um, obviously, the European Union can't fund everything that needs to be done, so we would very much like to see other investors chip in, and that is what we need to do and what we need to see. I see one raised hand over there. Yes, uh, thinking about um, scalability, uh, Peter Wadhams from uh, Cambridge, England. Thinking about scalability, um, uh, you've shown a, a very large number of potential sites here, many of them in the middle of the ocean, but uh, if you just think about the, the Iceland site, how far, how far can you scale that upwards? I mean, there must be a limit to the amount of CO2 that can be stored in any one site. Is there, is there, can you have a strategy of focusing on a small number of sites and putting a lot of CO2 into each, or having a small amount in a large number of sites? Well, I think uh, it would be best to do both, uh, because where we have large emission points located to favorable storage formations, we should use those. However, it would be, of course, optimal to focus on the large uh, sites. And with respect to Iceland, I mean, we have more than enough 
basalt here to deal with all of our emissions for a long period of time. So perhaps we might even import some if, if there is interest in, in such uh, a joint uh, collaboration. Uh, but as you mentioned, the, the really large potential is in the oceanic ridges. Uh, so that is where we want to go. Uh, but it will take us some years to finish the necessary uh, additional uh, research and innovation work to get there. Uh, can, I, beeping, yeah. can I put I think, another I think quiz? the beeping uh, or the flashing red light means that our time is up. So thank you very much. Thank you.